This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Okay, Top Tribe, this week's winner of the 100 bucks is Jose Avila. He is a 17-year-old that doesn't want to go to college and he wants to start his own business. For your chance to win 100 bucks, just like Jose, every Monday morning, simply subscribe to this podcast on iTunes right now and then text the word Nathan to 33444 to prove that you did it. This is episode 397. Coming up tomorrow morning, you are going to hear from the mindmaestro.com CEO, Michael Hulaf. They have over 5 million users, are doing 250 grand in monthly recurring revenue, and it is a powerful SaaS platform. Top Tribe, good morning. Our guest today is John Lee. He's the co-founder and CEO of ProsperWorks, the leading CRM solution for businesses powered by Google Apps for Work. ProsperWorks has been named the only recommended CRM for Google Apps by Google and was the recipient of Google's Best New Tech Partner Award. Before ProsperWorks, with Kelly Chang, Joe co-founded and served as CEO of DNA Games, a social gaming technology company backed by Battery Ventures and Bain Capital Ventures that was acquired by Zynga in 2011. He's also the co-founder and CEO of Bizarre Advertising Solutions, a leading advertising technology company that was sold to Epic advertising. Additionally, after the merger, John became division president responsible for key strategic and line management roles for a business that delivers hundreds of millions in revenue. Now, before all this, earlier in his career, John served as head of global business operations for Yahoo Search International, joining the company through its acquisition of Overture Services. His start, he had a start as an investment banker with Merrill Lynch Technology Group and is still an active advisor and investor in technology startups. All right, John, are you ready to take us to the top? Sounds good. All right, let's do this. So, so let me make sure I get kind of this thing right. Merrill Lynch, Yahoo, Bizarre Advertising Solutions, DNA Games, now ProsperWorks. Is that right? That's right. Okay, so this is kind of interesting. You go from kind of banking to tech to Yahoo to to gaming. Walk me through kind of how you're figuring out what you're jumping in and out of. Yeah, so um, at Overture and at Yahoo, you know, I'd seen basically the growth of that business um, just skyrocket in terms of pay-per-click advertising. And so, you know, clearly saw a need for advertisers to be able to get highly profitable, high volumes of, and um, highly scalable leads. And so my first company was really focused on doing that. And so we had built a platform that allows us to be able to find leads for our customers uh, through paid search. And so we had actually done a handful of affiliate. That was Epic advertising. Uh, that was bizarre advertising. Bizarre, sorry, bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And at bizarre, um, we actually started out as affiliate, um, as an affiliate marketing company that was sending leads to various advertisers. And then we realized, in the process of doing this, that we could actually automate that process and build a real technology around it. So we built something called Adaptive Marketing Console (AMC) for short. And it did really three things well. Um, it was keyword discovery. So we mined the long tail of keywords. So whereas most people would buy keywords, um, you know, at the head for their specific interest area, we would actually crawl um, Google search. We'd crawl the Wall Street Journal. We'd crawl various parts of content to find 
the long tail of keywords. And then we had a bid management system that would bid and effectively optimize based on gross profit. And then we had a offer optimization engine, which after the user figured out the right keyword and paid the right price, make sure that we send them the right um, experience so that they ultimately converted on that. And how did you make it's, money? Was it just a percentage of ad spend or was it a SaaS platform or uh, what? We arbitrage. So we would buy on a cost per click and we'd sell on a cost per lead or a cost per action or a cost per sale. Um, and basically we would use our own proprietary technology to buy low and sell high. Got it. And we did it about 90 times a minute and had built a very programmatic approach to be able to do that. And so we started this company out of our apartment in Palo Alto. Um, there was a lot of halo, a lot of work, uh, pretty much worked around the clock. <laughs> and we built a... This is what, 20, 20, 2005, 2004? Yeah, it's around 2004 to 2006. And uh, we built a $47 million business basically in two years. Uh, we didn't raise any venture financing, so it was all uh, personally funded out of credit cards and loans and all that kind of good stuff. When you say $47 million, was that annual kind of top-line revenue that you sold for? Uh, that was annual top line revenue. Okay. Got it. So we scaled very quickly. And so we learned very quickly that we could apply, you know, in my background's mathematics. So we applied algorithms to being able to effectively do the arbitrage. Mm -hmm. And so once we figured out one category within lather, rinse and repeat across different categories. And so how did Epic works value you? What were Epic advertising value? What was the exit? Um, well, I can't talk about the actual exit value. Oh, come on, John. This was like a decades ago. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I'm still binded to confidentiality on that. What did they do? Bound you for life? Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about that. I have to ask my attorney. That's funny. Well, what was the, what, how, how, for anyone right now building an affiliate kind of arbitrage business, how should they value their business? Um, I think that it's valued primarily today on EBITDA, so operating okay. income, because at the end of the day, you're paying for media, you're generating revenue. The product that you're ultimately building is profitability, right? Mm -hmm. You're building, that's the product that you ultimately deliver is the arbitrage between the cost and the revenue. And so I would look at the EBITDA multiple as probably a good way to value those businesses. What and would the multiple be? Anywhere between 8 to 15, depending on the growth rate. Okay. Have annual revenue? Uh, that's on EBITDA basis. So Is there uh, annual EBITDA. Yeah, got it. Very cool. Okay, so you do that. What, tell me how you get into the gaming industry, DNA games. Yeah, so my background is mathematics. So I've always been fascinated of where you can apply optimization techniques in any business process. In theory. You know, with Bazaar, it was all about optimizing the cost against the revenue that we received. And so what we wanted to do was actually build the hardest thing to do in a hits-driven business, which is to build a hits-making machine. And so what DNA Games was focused on was building a platform for game developers to optimize the game experience in real time. And so uh, back in 2008, during the big Facebook game craze, we had built uh, a Facebook gaming company and platform that allowed developers to be able to do testing on an iterative basis. And so based on the type of individual that was playing, we could provide a very different experience if you're a female from New York, age 35, uh, versus a male from Brazil, age age 15. And so it was all about being able to test things like the new user experience, um, the tutorial, the game balancing algorithm, the way that you merchandise products. 
and even in the content itself of the games. And we'd basically be able to analyze these cohorts, show them different types of game experiences, and identify the most optimal version that would drive the most lifetime value to the game developer. So, so John, if you had to simplify all these metrics into one thing, because you can measure millions of different data points, is it really just time in the game? I mean, how do you measure stickiness? What's the key thing? Yeah, it's really engagement. You know, we called it day end return, which is what was the likelihood that a customer would a player would come back to the game on the nth day. And that was usually the largest driver of the lifetime value of that customer. Um, but by understanding the lifetime value, um, we'd effectively be able to then help companies advertise more efficiently and more profitably. So if they discovered that certain segments of their customer base um, spent more money, they invited more users and spent more time in the game, we'd be able to give them uh, the actual value that that customer is worth so that they could go out on Facebook or on other channels and actually be able to purchase that media at profitability. And so it would allow people to not just build a really fun game, but build a, the game for the right person and also make money in the process doing so to guarantee a way to acquire that traffic. So what did, oh, I'm hoping that when you sold to Zynga, there was no, there wasn't Zynga's stock involved because that maybe wasn't so good for you guys. But how did that exit happen? Was it you guys looking to be sold or Zynga reached out or what? Yeah, I think, you know, the industry had sort of taken a little bit of headwind um, right around the time that we sold. You know, Facebook had, you know, changed some of their their policies and procedures uh, as are related to games posting on the user's feeds and so forth. So it made it actually a lot more difficult for our customers and ourselves as game developers to be able to advertise and grow profitably. And so I think, um, you know, we really evaluated the business and and looked at whether or not we could build something that was, you know, long-term and sustainable and then decided to uh, partner with someone that was larger that had an existing distribution base that had an engaged player base that we could leverage. And so, uh, for the Zynga deal, um, we basically came in and, uh, we helped, um, you know, deploy the technology in the company. And then at Zynga, uh, I ran a studio called Sheffield. So I was like the founding general manager, um, mm-hmm very small group of very talented, very tireless people. And we built a game called Sheffville. Um, that was the largest game in the world by daily active players in 2012 and was the most successful game launch for the company that year. So what was the, you'd raised 2 million bucks in DNA games when you sold this, they said there's some headwinds. You, you want to create, you know, some predictability in creating these hits. Did, I mean, did investors make money on this deal or was this kind of a down, you know, almost like a down round? Uh, no, investors definitely made money on the deal. I mean, I think they probably wanted to make more money on the deal. Sure, well, that's always the case. Um, but it was a good exit for the for the investors, for the employees, and, and also the founders of the company. So that was 2011. Take us into ProsperWorks now. Yeah, so ProsperWorks was really founded with the notion of helping companies be more successful. You know, after starting a couple companies, you know, I would say... You know, honestly, as an entrepreneur, when you're in your 20s, like you just want to make money. Right. So um, I built an arbitrage business in my late 20s, early 30s. I just wanted to 
create a fun company that did really cool things and help make other game developers successful. I'm a competitive gamer myself. What's your and favorite as I game? got into my early to mid thirties, you know, your sort of view on life, you know, sort of changes, you know, I had my first daughter and really thought through, you know, where can I take my talents to ultimately, you know, make a mark on the world and how do I, and for me, what was important was really making the world a better place by helping other entrepreneurs, other companies be more successful. And so we focused the company really around that mission and that vision. And we narrowed down specifically into the areas that most companies could use um, acceleration in, which is sales. CRM. So CRM is naturally the largest and fastest growing software category when it comes to business software. Um, Obviously, there's the incumbent Salesforce, which has proven that there's clearly demand for this type of service and this type of product. And so what we did was our angle was to partner with Google Apps, which is the fastest growing office productivity platform in the world, um, as a distribution platform uh, for our product. And what we discovered as we started building out this capability is that Google gives us these amazing APIs that then allow us to solve some really big problems in CRM today. And the biggest problem is that 47% according to Forrester of CRM implementations ultimately lead to failure. And the biggest reason for that is because there's bad data in the system. And so what our integration with Google apps allows us to do is to be able to bring all those conversations from a sales context right into ProsperWorks. So that's your email, your phone, that's your calendar. So we basically take away 95% of the data entry that's typically required in CRM And we automate all of that for you so that you get great data in your system so that you have a single source of truth. So you can build an automated sales process that's repeatable. So management can have ultimate visibility into their team and build the sales programs that actually ultimately help you be more successful. So John, let's, let's talk, let's talk about some of the numbers here because I talk to CRM, a bunch of people in CRM space all the time. Many of them they've tried and failed and they've raised a lot of capital and they're just, they're just failing. Or then you see people like HubSpot going, you know, free CRM route and there's all kinds of players in this space. So give us a sense of where you guys are at, uh, funded or, or bootstrapped or what? Yeah. So we're about to announce uh, a round of funding. So I can't talk uh, too much about that, but we have, how much ra- have you raised? We have raised in the multiple tens of millions uh, of dollars. So Crunchbase says 10 million over two rounds. Is that accurate? Um, yes. And okay. we've got something that's cooking in the books and, um, you know, your, your listeners and you will be the first to know once we announce the official. That's great. We love exclusives, John. That's what we do. Okay. So 10 million over two rounds. Um, you founded the business, you said in, you said in 2011. Uh, that's correct. Okay. So it's been around for about five years. Um, walk us through some of the, some of the economics, to the extent that you can. So it's a SaaS platform, I imagine monthly recurring revenue, right? Yeah. Okay. And how many current customers do you serve? We serve uh, over 40,000 customers. Okay. And again, those are paid, not free, not people using That's a free correct. trial. Okay. Yeah. 40,000 customers, uh, 10 million raised. Um, you know, we got a lot of SaaS entrepreneurs that listen to this and, and I always try and help our guests educate our listeners on around unit economics. You're perfect for this because you're a math guy. Help us understand, you know, ARPU, CAC, LTV. Yeah. So, um, you know, I can't go into two specifics on, on what our specific metrics are. I would say that 
you know, we have a very profitable sales and marketing machine. Um, most of our leads are actually inbound. So it's people that are discovering us through the Google apps marketplace, through the web, through our content that we have online, they install a trial of the service. Um, they get it for free for two weeks and basically they need to, um, upgrade in order to continue to use the service. Mm-hmm. Um, so our LTV, the CAC is, you know, in the mid to high single digits. So um, what, like three, four, five, six to one, something like that. Uh, it's, definitely north, it's definitely north of five. And explain what that means. So what does a fi- what does that mean? Listeners? Yeah. So to the listeners, I mean, what you want to do in a SaaS business is have a profitable um, acquisition machine so that the value of your customer exceeds the cost to acquire the cost to acquire that customer. So the greater that multiple is, um, the more profitable your product actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for us, you know, we focused um, primarily on building, you know, great channel relationships like our relationship with Google. Um, and as a result, you know, we're able to uh, get a lot of um, referral traffic um, through the various means that I just mentioned. You remind me, John, a lot of Brandon Bruce, for who we had on from Sears Insights, who's kind of doing the same strategy, except he's doubling down on the Salesforce app exchange instead of Google Apps. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, so you uh, going back to your economics real quick, just to with, hit this point home on LTV to CAC. Basically, guys, what what John's articulating is for, for every dollar he spends, whether it's marketing or whatever salaries on acquiring customers, they're getting a six dollar kind of return in terms of total lifetime value of that customer. John, would you correct me or is that accurate? That's correct. Great. So which is very healthy, by the way. Sometimes you see, you know, it's three. There are some companies, John, which I'm sure you know, who who it's actually flipped because they're just assumed they just want market share. So they're paying a dollar for, you know, you know, 90 cents of LTV in some cases. Yeah. And I think at different phases in the company, you'll see different LTV to CACs. So, you know, in the beginning, you know, your product is not going to be as mature. It's going to be more difficult to sell. You may not have those existing channels, in which case it's important actually to invest, to be able to get your customer to come to the door and use your service because having that product feedback is really important. As you find that product market fit, you know, the next question then is to be able to create a scalable sales team and marketing team to be able to make that profitable. How big is your team right now? Uh, our team is about 67 people. Okay. It plans to get to north of a hundred by the end of the year. So it's very ambitious. Growing fast. We do over here. Um, (laughs) And I think what you find as companies mature is that you get diminishing marginal returns, which means that, you know, as you add more customers or your rate of new customer growth increases, um, then the cost to acquire also increases as well. So mm-hmm. we see convergence of LTV to CAC, you know, towards the three to four range. Yep. Um, so it really depends on sort of. Uh, where you are in the life cycle, but I would encourage, you know, all your listeners to make sure they invest ahead to make sure they're getting the right kind of customers, their target customers in the door. So they really understand what their challenges are and that you design and build your product to truly solve those problems. Mm-hmm. And then the scaling part really, uh, it kind of solves itself, right? You, you know, you get a great sales leader in there, you build out the sales team, you make sure your magic number is, you know, above 0.8. And if your magic number is above 0.8, then, you know, you keep expanding. So it's a pretty kind of tried and true playbook. I think you can read, you know, Jason Lemkin, you know, does a great job in his blog on saster.com that talks a lot about this. But I highly recommend your listeners to, um, you know, check that resource out. He just, he just raised his fund. Is he your lead? 
Uh, he's not our lead, uh, <laughs> but uh, someone related very close to uh, him. Is- well, he's a great guy. He's got a good ecosystem. Um, real quick, going back to you mentioned something about ideal customers and kind of, you know, going in there and thinking about SV to CAC ratios. What you've got three plans, basic, professional and business, 19 bucks a month, 49 bucks a month and 119 bucks a month, respectively. If you average all these together, what is kind of the average customer paying you? Yeah, so our average customer typically signs up for the professional edition, which is a $49 per user per month on an annual basis. Uh-huh. Um, about 80% or more of our customers are on that edition. Okay, so it's fair to say even a blended average across your entire customer base is about 50 bucks a month. That's close to that. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. And what, you know, one of the things you always try and do in terms of SaaS and, and managing the cash gap is pulling revenue forward via annual plans. What percentage of your signups are annual versus monthly? So the majority of our contracts are actually annual. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a uh, fraction are monthly. Yeah. And is the math simple? You mentioned earlier, you have 40,000 customers. And if you've got $50 ARPU, is it, it, you know, is the math that simple? It's about 2 million bucks in MRR. So I think that, um, you know, early in our days, we definitely did deeper discounting and that the numbers that I quoted are more reflective. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, we're, we're sort of in the right order of magnitude. Got it. Got it. You're saying of the 40,000 customers early on, maybe five, six, seven thousand 7,000 of the earlier customers maybe got cheaper or more expensive pricing as you were testing. So that might throw 2 million MRR off a bit, but we're yeah, doing in the right sound, range. And I think a lot of SaaS companies will find this is that um, early on, you can only build so much product. And so some companies go at their target market from the get go and say, okay, I'm going after enterprise customers. That's it. I'm building a sales team to do that. We took a different approach, which was, look, let's build a product that's going to be useful for somebody. And in the early days, um, you know, the product was useful mainly for very small businesses. So, you know, anywhere from one to five people in the company. Mm -hmm. So what we've been seeing is that over time is that we've been now been able to attract not just the very small businesses, but also the medium sized businesses with 100 to 500 employees. Yeah. So it's, 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 you know, talk to one person, but the annual contract value is not 50 bucks a month. It's 50 bucks a, a month paid annual times a hundred seats, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Real quick. Well, one economic we didn't touch on was uh, churn, which is critical in SaaS business. What's your guys' gross subscriber churn look like month over month? Yeah. So on a net, I can't comment on our gross, but our net churn is actually negative. So is that revenue churn or customer churn? That's revenue churn. Yeah. Yeah. And explain what that means to the user, uh, listeners real quick. Yeah, so it means that we actually add more revenue than we lose on a monthly basis. Um, so in our case, the way that we upsell our customers is um, we just add additional seats. Um, and so a typical expanding customer may start out with 50 seats and they add 10, they may add 15. And on the contrary, um, you know, we may lose a customer that has five or seven seats. But if you average those two out, um, people are actually adding more seats than we are actually losing. Losing, yep. And, and, and it's less about the number of seats because you want to consider ARPU in this, but it's more about it's terms of the value of the seat being 50 bucks. You're, you're adding more revenue than you're losing, right? That's correct. Yeah. How negative are you? 2%, 3%? Uh, I wouldn't say uh, we could disclose that number, but um, it, it's a little less than that. Okay, got it. Uh, got it. Yeah. I mean, look, any SaaS business that has a negative, you know, churn, you're going to be getting valuations. I mean, that are really up there. So, uh, uh, congrats. I'm sure the round of funding you're, you're raising right now is at great terms. Yeah. Um, very cool. Well, Hey, we're about to get my favorite part of the show, which is the wrap up section, John. But before we do that, tell me real quick, if people want to follow you online as you continue building prosper works, where's the best place for them to do that? 
Yeah, I mean, the best place is really LinkedIn. So, um, you know, LinkedIn slash John Lee 168 or uh, on my Twitter, John Lee Prosperworks. Okay, Top Tribe, I have to tell you, many people go, Nathan, and you came out of nowhere. Your website's growing so fast. How'd you do it? The answer is simple. So I use HostGator. I don't know if you guys know that, but I use HostGator. And the reason I do, they have like about 4,500 free templates I can use because I don't code. They've got a great e-commerce plugin. And guys, I bug the heck out of their support. They've got 24-7 support, which I love. So what I've done is I've worked with them. You guys know I make great deals. If you go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan, you can see Sign up, get your own domain for 30% off and a 45-day money-back guarantee. Okay, again, I make great deals for you guys. Go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan to grab that now. Folks, breaking news, we've added two capuchin monkeys that can sit at a computer, write a cold email, and close a deal better than most of your salespeople. They're gonna join the world's greatest business show on October 6th in Austin, Texas. In addition to these amazing monkeys, which you can't miss live on stage, you'll see tech billionaires battle, authors launch their books, startups go from bootstrap to billions live on stage. You don't want to miss it. Go to NathanLatka.com forward slash Austin live to get your tickets now. They are almost sold out. We have so many people buying like Blake Allen, Timothy Delaforce. We're almost sold out. Go see the monkeys. Watch the billionaires. NathanLatka.com forward slash Austin live. Get your tickets right now. Awesome. Top Tribe, we will link to that in the show notes at NathanLatka.com forward slash the top 397. Again, forward slash the top 397. All right, John, rapid fire round. We're going to wrap up. It's called The Famous Five. Are you ready? Yeah. Number one, favorite business book? Crossing the Chasm. Jeffrey Moore, baby. That's a good one. Number two, CEO you're following or studying right now? I would say Mark Benioff. He's a good one. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have besides your own, like FreshBooks? Prosperworks, of course. I said besides your own, John. Come on. Besides my own. Uh, <laughs> I would say... There's a writing, what you should say is Google Apps. Right? I would say exactly, which is Google Apps. <laughs> Gmail. Smart guy over here. Smart guy. All right. Number four. Yes or no? Do you get eight hours of sleep every night? No. No. And what's your situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? I'm married with two beautiful daughters. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. And how old are you? I am 37. Okay. So last question, John, take us back 17 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? I wish my 20 year old self would have started all my companies earlier. I would not have waited. Yep. I would have just got in and done it because (laughs) the fine is when you want something bad enough, you'll find a way to get it done. Top Tribe, remember that. Start earlier, and when you want something bad enough, you'll find a way to get it done. From John Lee, who's had mega hits in multiple different industries, his current one that he's cooking up is ProsperWorks.com. It's founded in 2011, already served over 40,000 customers, growing very, very fast, raised $10 million, about to announce another raise, $50 ARPU, great healthy economics, and somewhere around, he wouldn't confirm, but somewhere around a $2 million MRR. John, thank you for taking us to the top. Great, thank you. If you enjoyed John today, go back and listen to Kevin Davis yesterday and why Kevin raised $3 million, then merged with his number one competitor. Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with 
Facebook and Google ads. Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right, when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money, hostgator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's hostgator.com forward slash Nathan. The greatest business show on earth is coming to Austin, Texas, October 6th this year, featuring Webinar Wars, where two people that you know very well will launch their own products live on stage, giving a webinar live to their audience. You'll get to watch what they do and see who sells the most. The winner will get a massive prize from me that will go directly to their charity. Get your tickets now at NathanLatka.com forward slash Austin Live. That's NathanLatka.com forward slash Austin Live. And if you're skeptical, just look at the speakers we have. Go to the link, look at the speakers, and you decide for yourself. NathanLatka.com forward slash Austin Live. Okay, Top Tribe, I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. And don't forget, before you listen to any other episodes, subscribe on iTunes right now for your chance to win 100 bucks every Monday.